our world of 24-7 news, you can now see what is happening anywhere in the world with the click of a mouse or by just turning on the TV. It's easy to forget the way in which one viewed the news 60 years ago, as distinct from hearing it on radio, when TV was in its infancy. I don't suppose you remember the newsreels, which often accompanied whatever movie you were seeing at the cinema. Pathé, Movietone, these and other companies produced short news items on film about major events that were happening in the world. In London, there were even some small newsreel cinemas where all the latest filmed reports were compressed into hour-long programs together with a cartoon or two. Many went to see those newsreel cinemas for a quiet snooze. I went after school to catch up on current events. So here's how a major Asian event was captured by a newsreel. The signing of the Korean armistice at Panmunjom, which took place 60 years ago, on July the 27th, 1953. Pathé News cameramen record the last vital moments of the Korean War as a convoy of army vehicles brings United Nations officers to the truce site at Panmunjom for the signing of the armistice. Within the camp stands a communist-built peace pagoda, the actual place where the truce is to be signed. Guard is kept on the building, where green-topped tables have been set out for the delegates. Now a helicopter touches down, bringing the United Nations leading negotiator, General William Harrison. Escorted by other UN officers, General Harrison passes a guard mounted by men representing the different countries who fought the Reds. Now the chief communist delegate, General Namil, enters the peace pagoda. Within the truce building, the delegates watch Namil walk to the table, placed at some distance from his opposite number. From the other side, General Harrison enters, but neither of the two leading negotiators make any sign of greeting. The scene is set, the formalities remain. A set of documents is signed by General Harrison. The Red delegates watch their representative put his signature to the treaty. The armistice is signed, and cameras record the moment of history. Cameras flash again at the base camp at Munsan, as General Clark, the United Nations commander, countersigned similar documents. The Reds were reluctant that Clark and their chief commander should meet at Panmunjom, so this is the final compromise. Now that peace has come to Korea, the Chinese puzzle faces America and Great Britain. I like that ending. Now that peace has come to Korea, the Chinese puzzle faces America and Great Britain. Peace hadn't come to Korea. It still hasn't. But tension had been reduced. Already the Western powers were focusing more on China. China had intervened in Korea and almost succeeded. In 1953, there was still a million Chinese troops defending North Korea, but only 200,000 North Korean troops. China had saved North Korea. It had accepted that there should be an armistice and that North Korea should agree to one. Already the question was, how will China use its influence in future? Sixty years on, the Chinese puzzle remains a puzzle. The communist-built peace pagoda nearly brought about the cancellation of the truce ceremony. A few days before the truce was to be signed, the North Koreans painted over the entrance two six-foot-high reproductions of Picasso's dove, the worldwide symbol of the global communist peace campaign. 
This brought forth a tough response from the Americans who told the North Koreans and the Chinese that unless the offending birds were removed from the building, the UN command would not sign the armistice and the war would go on. Probably due to Chinese influence, the doves were very quickly removed. But on another key issue, it was the Americans who had to give way. The complete separation of the two generals initially signing the truce, the total absence of any handshake, of any greeting, of even an exchange of smiles, it all exemplified the Cold War, of which, of course, the Korean War was a part. The newsreel makes it sound as if General Mark Clark, the commander-in-chief of the United Nations Command, was the only senior commander to sign the armistice. In addition, the two chief negotiators of the truce, General Nam Il for North Korea and General William Harrison for the United Nations Command. But the supreme commander of the North Korean army, Kim Il-sung, and the commander of the Chinese People's Volunteers, General Peng Tae-hwai, were also signatories. The original idea was that Clark, Peng and Kim would face each other across a table in the Peace Pagoda and sign the truce there, perhaps with a smile or two. But at the last minute, the communists insisted that their leaders would make the journey south from Pyongyang only on three conditions. One was that no South Koreans would attend the armistice ceremony in any capacity whatsoever. Another was that no nationalist Chinese newsman would be allowed in the Panmunjom neutral zone on the Armistice Day. The communists also demanded that only official photographs be taken by both sides. Clark refused to accept these proposals, so that last compromise meant that while he signed the Armistice Agreement at the Munsan headquarters of the UN command, the 18 copies of the armistice, each in three languages, were then taken to Pyongyang to be signed there by Peng and Kim. These conditions, which the communists tried to impose, again perfectly illustrated the Cold War atmosphere of those days, as did the unfriendly signing by Nam Il and Harrison. There were other ways in which the newsreel did not give a full account of what happened on July the 27th, 1953. First, the ceremony itself did not represent the absolute last vital moments of the war. The signing in the Peace Pagoda took place at 10am, but the fighting continued for another 12 hours, since the cessation of hostilities was only set to begin at 10pm. So, for another 12 hours, as one historian described the situation, quote, United Nations command aircraft still flow over North Korea. Naval forces pursuing the blockade of North Korea carried on desultory shelling of the coastline. Some shots rattled out across the main line of resistance, the MLR, the line recently drawn to mark the middle of the soon-to-be-created demilitarized zone, DMZ, when all troops on both sides would retreat two kilometers from the MLR. Finally, at 10 p.m., the guns were stilled, and the hills from sea to sea were illuminated by thousands of flares. A full moon hung low in the sky. The fighting had ended within a few miles of where it had begun over three years before. Everywhere, UN command troops saw the Chinese and North Korean soldiers looking for souvenirs between the lines. Unquote. Secondly, while most of the world saw the signing of the armistice as ending the Korean War, in the document itself the word war was never used. 
For as David Rees points out in his Career of the Limited War, still one of the most insightful and comprehensive books on this period, even though it was first published in 1964, quote, one of the most ironic aspects of the war was its status. Quite rightly, the preamble to the Armistice Agreement nowhere referred to a state of war as, of course, formal belligerency never existed between the major contenders in Korea. Only North Korea was ever believed to have declared war on South Korea and the Republic of Korea, that's South Korea, did not sign the truce. The million Chinese then in Korea were all there as individual volunteers. The 16 countries of the United Nations were fighting on a recommendation of the Security Council to repel armed attack and to restore peace and security in the area. The war had not been a war, and the preamble to the armistice referred merely to stopping the Korean conflict, an ambiguous phrase which has often been invoked by Western politicians and publicists. Communist commentators usually refer to the victorious struggle of Korean liberation, unquote. South Korea did not sign the armistice because General Mark Clark signed on behalf of the UN command of which all South Korean troops were then a part. Thirdly, the curious use of language continued when the armistice cautiously suggested a solution for the war. As Rees points out, quote, for the final outcome of the fighting, paragraph 60 of the armistice envisaged a political conference meeting within three months of the armistice agreement to establish a final peaceful solution of the Korean question. Only then technically would a state of peace come to Korea, unquote. But whether the oft-forgotten, now politically ignored Article 60 of the Armistice Agreement would in fact have brought about any kind of settlement has always remained in doubt. Article 60 reads, quote, In order to ensure the peaceful settlement of the Korean question, the military commanders of both sides hereby recommend to the governments of the countries concerned on both sides that within three months of the armistice agreement being signed and becoming effective, a political conference of a higher level of both sides to be held by representatives appointed respectively to settle through negotiation the question of the withdrawal of all foreign forces from Korea and the peaceful settlement of the Korean question, etc., unquote. For a while, an effort was made to try and meet this obligation, though the three months passed without anything being achieved. Eventually, the promised political conference met in Geneva in April 1954. It never ended the inevitable Korean impasse. South Korea and its allies sought pan-Korean elections organised and run by the United Nations. North Korea and China sought an electoral arrangement which would have given the communists the right of veto. Since by June the 15th, 1954, no understanding between the two sides was reached, the armistice agreement has remained in force and the responsibility for uniting Korea reverted to the United Nations where it has rested since 1947. The 1954 Geneva Conference is remembered for what it accomplished regarding Vietnam, for not for what it accomplished regarding Korea. As David Rees prophetically predicted way back in 1964, 
there seems no prospect of Korea being reunited in the foreseeable future. As long as the Cold War goes on, and probably even afterwards, Korea, the land of the morning calm, will remain divided. There is only one acceptable political solution for Korea, and that is reunification. The dubious advantage of the Korean War was that four attempts were made to attain this goal, all of them failed. First, there was the North Korean attempt to unify through its aggression against South Korea in June 1950. Following the intervention of the United States and its allies, it was halted at the Pusan beachhead. Secondly, there was the American attempt to unify Korea through its counter-offensive following the landing at Incheon in September 1950 and its invasion of North Korea, which was endorsed by United Nations resolutions. Thirdly, there was the Chinese attempt to unify Korea through its counter-offensive mounted by the Chinese People's Volunteers, which cleared North Korea and was only halted after it had retaken the southern capital of Seoul. Fourth, there was the desperate South Korean threat to send its forces northwards to unify Korea made by President Sigmund Rhee in the weeks just before the signing of the armistice, which was only halted by equally desperate pressure from the Eisenhower administration, which told the communists that United Nations forces would never support South Korean forces if they invaded the north. Meanwhile... President Eisenhower had used the extreme sanction of hinting at the possible use of nuclear weapons to secure communist compliance with the Korean armistice. Today it is North Korea which pursues the development and threatens the use of nuclear weapons, even as last March it once again rejected further compliance with the Korean armistice. Presumably, as he visits Pyongyang for what the North Koreans curiously hail as their victory day, Chinese Vice President Li Yuanchao will quietly stress that Beijing expects North Korea to continue to comply with the Korean armistice. So, 60 years after the truce was signed, the Korean Cold War continues but the dream of Korean unity survives.